continue today with our study on the book of the Acts of the Apostles. This time we are looking at part 18. So far we have seen two cruxes of baptisms. That they are rites of passage that every Christian must pass through. And that they are the identification mark that every Christian must be sealed with. Otherwise they are not of God. In looking at the latter last week, that is our identification mark, we noted that baptisms as a mark of identity is to the new covenant what circumcision was to the old covenant. While circumcision was performed privily only on males by a man who cut away the foreskin, baptisms are a public spiritual operation performed without human hands on every believer in Christ, male and female, free and slave, rich and poor, and declares what Christ had already done in the believer, that is, the cutting away of sin from his or her life. We noted that even though, in most cases, the mark of identification with Christ on a Christian are not physical and visible to the human eye, yet, in some cases, as in persecution, that is the baptism of suffering, the mark can be physical. Here we are talking about the wounds and scars of persecution, as was the case with Paul. We also noted that the mark of identification on the believer in Christ identifies him or her as belonging to and being a part of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hence, every Christian who is thus marked should manifest the personality of Christ as the mark of identity distinguishes him from the people of the world who manifest a different behavior and conduct and who readily take on the mark of Satan to have an advantage and avoid persecution and difficulties of any sort in this world. Furthermore, the identification mark of a Christian, of which baptisms are a channel, sets him or her apart for divine protection and preservation on one hand, while on the other hand, it marks him or her out for targeted onslaughts of Satan's hordes, from which he or she is guaranteed victory. I think the Bible says that uh, the, the sun shall not smite thee by by day, not the moon by night. Thus, the doctrine of baptisms instructs and challenges Christians to be easily and readily identifiable to both angels and demons as belonging to and united with Christ, our identity. First Corinthians 11.10 tells us about women having a covering over their head so that the angels can see that they are under authority when they come. Hence, baptisms must be seen not just as mere physical acts, but as crucial spiritual acts which distinguish Christians before God, making them a reference of how God loves and cares for his own. This evening, we shall be looking at um, five scripture texts. Acts chapter 1, verse 5, Hebrews 5, 12 to 14, Hebrews 6, 1 to 2a, Matthew 3, 7 and 8, and Luke chapter 3, from verse 7 to 14. Acts chapter 1, verse 5. For John truly baptized with water, but he shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Again, this has been a, a major text where we've looked at the issue of baptisms, noting that there are more than one baptism. We, of course, said that John's baptism does not hold today, but its essence is real with us. That is repentance from sin. But apart from the Holy Spirit baptism, there's also Christian baptism, a baptism into the body, and there's baptism of suffering, which is what many people try to avoid. But by the grace of God, if you're a believer, you will definitely go through it. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12 to 14. Hebrews 5, 12 to 14. 
For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. For he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. The Bible lets us understand that we are supposed to be teachers of the word of God. We are supposed to teach others that which we have learned. But only if we have applied ourselves to living the truth. In other words, hearing the word without application is not something that the Bible expects. The Bible expects that as we hear the word of God, we will grow in the word of God to the extent where we can teach others that same word as well. And then we jump to Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms. Again, we stop here. But it's important to note that the Bible expects us to move away from the foundational things and move on to maturity or perfection. We are not supposed to be dwelling always on foundational things. But we need to dwell on this particular foundational aspect even in a more advanced form than we had many years ago. Because, don't forget, we ought to be teachers teaching others this same thing. So, we need to learn what God is saying to us from these other things. Matthew chapter 3, verse 7 to 8. But when he, that is John the Baptist, saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance. What we are looking here at here is going to form the um, essence of what we shall be discussing tonight. So let's take a, a little bit, a few minutes just to look at it. John was giving baptism unto repentance to the people who were coming to his baptism. And then he sees Pharisees and the Sadducees. These are supposed to be the leaders of the church who had different doctrines, albeit, but they were still leaders of the church. And he saw them coming to his baptism, which was a baptism unto repentance. And he called them brood of vipers. And was asking them, who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? And now challenges them to bear fruit worthy of repentance. In other words, don't let it just be that you are coming to be dunked in water. We want to see the import of this baptism in your life. Now let's go to Luke, where it is further expounded on Luke chapter 3, from verse 7 to 14. In verse 7, Luke does not single out the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Rather, Luke discusses the fact that he said it to the multitudes. Then he said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. Stop saying, I belong to this church. I belong to that church. Let us see the fruit of baptisms in your life. Stop boasting about who your pastor is. About who your general overseer is. About the fact that God has singled out your denomination, which is not true anyway, for something greater than any other denomination. 
Stop boasting in those things. Because God is perfectly able to replace you with stones. In verse 9. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. In verse 10. So the people asked him, saying, What shall we do then? The people understood what John was saying. How do we show this fruit meet for repentance? How do we prove that indeed our baptism was not just water on our bodies, but a real thing, a real, a real change that has taken place? And then he answered in verse 11, from verse 11 to 14. He answered and said to them, He who has two tunics, excuse me, let him give to him who has none. And he who has food, let him do likewise. Then tax collectors also came to be baptized, <coughs> excuse me, and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what is appointed for you. Because the tax collectors, like our customs officers, were charging more than was necessary and robbing the people blind. In verse 14, likewise the soldiers asked him, saying, And what shall we do? So he said to them, Do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely and be content with your wages. In our own time, not only the soldiers, but also the police officers, officers of the law, and people who have cause to process anything for you, who would want to take undue advantage over you. He says to such people, make sure that you don't risk people unduly. Don't give false charges just because you want to take money from them. Do what is, if indeed you have repented of sin, stop doing these things. That's basically what John was saying to them. The first two cruxes of the doctrine of uh, baptisms have taught us that spiritual maturity and identification in Christ are not just essential results of baptisms, but that baptisms are a spiritual reality which though may not be seen, may not be visible to the human eye, yet have ramifications that are manifest by the conduct and lifestyle of the Christian in this dark world and among the brethren. This is what we are saying. If indeed you have been baptized, and these baptisms are spiritual realities, even though we may not see physically that, oh, this sign is on this man, this mark is on this man, but by the way you conduct yourself, by the way you live, we can see the manifestation of baptism. For example, baptism in the Holy Spirit can even occur when you are born again. But we will not know that it has happened until we hear you speak in tongues. That's the physical evidence. But even if we don't hear you speak in tongues, even if you don't speak in tongues, we should be able to see you manifesting the gifts of the Spirit. Is that understood? If indeed you have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. I, I, I'll, I'll give a, a little, a, a short story, which I've told before. A man was walking down the street, and he saw four girls you know, gathered around a, a, a shopping window. And apparently one of the girls was blind. And the other, three could, the other three could see. So they were describing a dress to this blind girl. They were getting excited, but the girl was confused. Because the three of them were saying different things. So the man walked up to the four of them and said to, to them, Why don't you take her inside the shop and let her feel the dress for herself? And so... The blind, they took the blind girl into the shop and she began to feel the dress. And through the glass window, the man saw 
the face of the blind girl glowing with excitement. What had happened? Now she could feel what they were describing. And could attest that indeed what they were describing was so. That's the point we're trying to make here. We cannot be describing baptism to you. And you have not yet experienced it. And there is no sense in you to want to experience it. Believers in Christ today must not just know about baptisms and its blessings and ramifications. They must also have experienced these in their lives. This will be our subject today. We pray that the Holy Spirit will challenge us to live out the experience of the doctrine of baptisms in our lives every day. Praise the name of the Lord. So, um, this evening we want to look at the doctrine of baptisms and we want to discuss the matter of experience. The matter of experience. Experience is where the tire meets the road. It is the translation of doctrine to demonstration or display and of teaching to daily practice. Experience is what happens when a person has tasted of the pudding that has been so aptly described and then attests to the truth in what had been earlier described to him or her. The question we seek to answer today is, does your experience agree with the doctrine of baptisms? Put differently, is there a gap between the doctrine of baptisms and your experience of it? Praise the name of the Lord. That's basically what we want to discuss this evening. Is it possible that for all the teachings that we have heard, we are yet to experience these things? And if that is the case, that we have not yet experienced some of the things we have heard about baptisms thus far, why have we not experienced it? Is there a gap in teachings? I'm talking of correct teachings now from the Word of God. And your own experience of these teachings. If there is a gap, how do we close that gap? That's basically what we want to look at. James chapter 1, verse 22 through to 25. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like a man, observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. It is not enough to hear the word of God. You must put it to practice. If you only hear the word of God and do not put it to practice, or like John the Baptist said, if you do not bring fruit, meat for repentance. Fruit that we can see that indeed this man is a listener, is a hearer. Then you cannot expect any blessing to arise from the word of God. These are the people who get frustrated and begin to say that look we have tried this thing. It doesn't work. Because the reality is they have not truly tried it. And even when they say they have tried it. They have tried to apply shortcuts and it will, not, it will not work. In Psalm 34 verse 8, Psalm 34 verse 8, the Bible says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man 
who trust in him. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. You will need to read the entire psalm to understand where the psalmist is coming from. He talked about how God delivered him from troubles. He talked about how he cried to God and how God heard him. He talked about all the things that the Lord had been doing in his life. And then gave an exclamation, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. You cannot begin to talk of the goodness of God until you have tasted and then you can attest that indeed the Lord is good. But when you are applying shortcuts, you will never be able to taste and see that the Lord is good. When somebody is trying to be cleverer than half, a cleverer than by half, he is not going to be able to say, oh, I have tasted and I have seen that the Lord is good. Because he will always be frustrated. If he were to be cleverer by half and can say that the Lord is good, then what is going to happen is that everybody will want to be cleverer by half. But God will not allow such. So even though they try it, they end up failing and faltering. All the people who have thought that by throwing money to a pastor, that they are going to escape a famine or whatever comes through challenges and difficulties, they have seen the folly in those practices. It is about a relationship with God, not just doing things. Otherwise, even a man who is not in church can still do these things and expect things to happen. It doesn't work that way. It is applicable to children of God. It's applicable to people who are born again. Applicable to people who have submitted themselves to the authority of Christ. And who follow his ways and his word. In 1 Peter chapter 2, from verse 1 to 3. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 to 3. The Bible says, therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. These are things that must be laid aside first. Then it goes on in verse 2. As newborn babes desire, not that word desire, not the word, it's a, it's a crucial word. This word desire is what is creating the gap between doctrine and demonstration, between teaching and experience, between what you have heard in church and the daily practice. In the absence of desire, you will not translate that teaching into practice. As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the world, that you may grow thereby. Let's go back to verse 1. Therefore, laying aside all malice, do not be desirous of malice, do not be desirous of deceit, do not be desirous of hypocrisy, of envy, and of evil speaking. Instead, desire the pure milk of the world, that you may grow thereby. Grow as children of God. Grow to spiritual maturity. As long as there is malice, there is deceit, there is hypocrisy and envy and evil speaking in your life. Even if you pick the word of God, there will be no growth. And quite frankly, as long as those things are there, you cannot desire the sincere milk of the word of God. In verse 3 it says, If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. If it is true that you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, then get rid of all these things called malice of deceit, of hypocrisy, of envy, of evil speaking, of all this negative behavior that are not a blessing to anybody. Rather, desire the pure milk of the word of God. You will grow, you, you will be spiritually mature. If it is true that you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. In Hebrews chapter 6, from verse 4 to verse 8, it drives home a point of what is happening in the life of many people. 
So many people have desired the word of God. But for selfish reasons. They have desired the word that says, pay your tithe. And the windows of heaven will be open. So they pay the tithe only because they want the windows of heaven to be open. But not because they have a personal relationship with God. Or because they love God. They just want multiplication in their, in their forms. And then, things begin to happen around them. And they wonder, why, why is it like this? That the, the word of God was written to believers. Not to unbelievers. The path for the unbeliever is to recognize his sinfulness and come to God in repentance. Now, having come to God in repentance, he now enters into a personal relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. It is on the basis of the relationship that he has that the word of God becomes effective and effectual in his life. A man who, has, who is not interested in having a relationship with God, who says he's born again, by the way, that is even an absurdity. Because I don't know of any child that is born and does not have a parent. If you are born again, then God is your father. If God is your father, it is because he wants to enter into a relationship with you. A personal one-on-one relationship. Now there are people who have enjoyed these things, but for some reason, they backslid. Now let's read about them. Let it be a warning to you and I. Hebrews chapter 6 from verse 4 to 8. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift. And have become partakers of the Holy Spirit. These are people who have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. They have spoken in tongues. They have actually worked signs, miracles, signs and wonders. And have tasted the good word of God. And the powers of the age to come. They have seen things happen in their lives. And through their lives. If they fall away. There are two, there, 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 there are two words here. Fall and away. It is possible to fall and yet not fall away. To fall away is that you are completely gone. A man who has fallen away would say to you, I, in my days, we walked miracles, signs and wonders. But we came to appreciate that Jesus is not the way. You have seen as the Antichrist. The Bible says the Antichrist used to be with us. You know, he was one of us before he moved out. It's going to happen. But there are people like that today. They have tasted of the power of God. But because they were looking for something and they didn't get it, they turned to, to, to native doctors. They turned to the occult, expecting that they would get that power that would give them. They, they wanted God to, for example, kill their enemies. God doesn't do such things. But because they have not yet taken in forgiveness, they still have malice, deceit, envy, hypocrisy, and other things around them. They now go to seek a means by which they will exert that vengeance which they are looking for. In verse 6, again it says, if they fall away, to renew them again to repentance. To be difficult. To be, in fact, the Bible says it is impossible. Not difficult. Therefore, it is impossible. To renew them again to repentance. Since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God. And put him to an open shape. For the earth which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it. And bears herbs useful for those by whom it is cultivated. Receives blessings from God. But... If it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near to be cursed, whose end is to be burned. If you have, if you have ground, you, 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 you have land, and you have planted something, you expect that when rain falls, that land should produce what? Good yield. Is that not so? But if the land is producing thorns and briars, you are frustrated, you are upset, and what do you do? You just, some people actually sow the, the, the land with salt. 
That nobody should ever plant anything on it again. It is useless. That's what God is saying here. That people who have tasted of the good word of God and turn around again and disdain it, that such people are like those, they are like that plant that had tasted, that, that had received water. But instead of producing good fruit, it began to produce thorns and brands. How is it that we sit in church hearing the word of God and we still go back home and do something completely contrary to the word of God? What has happened to us? Is it that we don't believe the word of God? What is causing this gap between practical application and the doctrine or the teaching that we have heard? What is the issue? We mentioned desire, right? We said you should know the word desire. We're going to explain it a little bit further. But let's look at Acts chapter 19 from verse 1 to 6. And we begin to see certain things. Acts 19 verse 1 to 6. And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus and finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, We have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, Into what then were you baptized? So they said, Into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. This is a classical example of what we're trying to talk about here. Paul meets some disciples. He said they are disciples. And then he asked if they have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. He said, no, we've not even heard that there's a Holy Spirit. He said, ah, so what baptism were you baptized? He said, oh, John's baptism. Ah, no, 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 no. Didn't you hear what John was saying when he was baptizing? John was talking about that this, what he's doing is a prelude. That there is a, that the Christ is coming. John merely prepared the hearts of the people to receive Christ. So if indeed you have gone through John's baptism, the next thing you need is to receive Jesus Christ into your life. And then, after you have received him into your life, we can pray with you and you can receive the Holy Spirit. And it happened for them. Why? Number one, they accepted what Paul said. They must have desired the Holy Spirit to accept it. Is that not so? If they didn't desire the Holy Spirit, this, this gifting of the Holy Spirit, they would never have accepted what Paul had said as truth. Not only did they accept it as truth, they believed it. Many people accept the word of God, but they don't believe it. So even though they come to church and they hear, they say, yes, it's true, it's true, it's true. But they don't believe it. A lot of doubts come into the hearts of many of us as we hear the word of God. Not only do they believe it, they were convinced about what they had believed. So there was acceptance, there was belief, and there was conviction. All with the desire. And by the time Paul had baptized them in the Lord Jesus Christ and laid hands on them to pray, what happened? The evidence was there. I try to use the alphabets to make it easy. Accept, believe, with conviction, have desire, you will see the evidence. Many people in church, when you tell them about the Holy Spirit baptism, they start arguing. What is Holy Spirit? How can you receive him when you already have, have refuted his existence? You cannot. How can you receive him? There, there, there was, there was a, a, a young fellow many years ago, of course, is repented of that and gotten out of it. Who said, what if while I'm praying for the Holy Spirit, an evil spirit comes into me? So, not, he accepted it, 
But some people said some things and doubt came in. And fear, rather not doubt, fear came in. He couldn't believe it. And so he couldn't receive it. Many of us hear things about baptisms. And we begin to wonder how, how, how possible is it? Let me tell you something about belief or faith, which we shall discuss next week, by the way. Belief or faith has nothing to do with how you reason. It simply has to do with believing what God has said. Do you understand? If what God has said does not make sense, that is irrelevant. Did God say it? Yes. Believe it. Do you know that even people who are not believers have believed wrong things? I hope you know that. There was this time, there was, there was a time, I think it's even still happening to today, where people had this uh, doctrine. They say, believe it and you will receive it. Believe it. It doesn't matter. Just believe it and you will receive it. But no. Belief here has to do with God. Next week when we look at the matter of faith, you will see that anything that you believe that is not of God, from God, the making of God, or from God's word, you have believed in vain. So we are talking of believing the word of God. Many people don't believe the word of God. And as long as you don't believe the word of God, you will not, see, you will not receive the blessings that come from that. And it's not just enough to believe. There must be conviction in your belief. Because when you believe something, sometimes the impact is not immediate. So you must be convinced about what you believe. I think I've shared here before of, um, is it, I don't know what his first name is, Seymour. Seymour is his name. Forgotten what his first name is. Who used to pray for people in, 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 in Los Angeles in America for, to receive the Holy Ghost baptism. He, would, he believed it. He believed in Holy Spirit baptism. He prayed for people, they received it, but he didn't receive it for a space of three years. Can you imagine that? You have to be convinced that this is true. But he was praying for other people and they were receiving. It took three years before he received You must accept the truth. Believe the truth. Be convinced about the truth. Desire it. You will see the evidence. It's just a matter of time. You receive the evidence. This aspect is so crucial because it is what is the gap between when you hear the word and when you see its demonstration, that gap must be closed. We intend to close that gap today. We intend from henceforth to accept the word of God, to believe it, to be convinced about it, and to desire its blessings. Therefore, we will see the evidence. The same Acts chapter 10 this time around, from verse 37 to 44, or to 48. Acts 10, 37 to 48. This is um, Peter preaching in Cornelius' home. He said, that word you know, talking of Christ, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and, begin from, and, and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the, of the Jews and in Jerusalem. Whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly. Not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before by God. Even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets witness that through his name... Whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. 
On how many of them, please? All. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God or prophesy. Then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. What is Peter saying? What was Peter saying here? Peter was saying, These people, we, you know, all the, what, what was it that happened? As Peter was preaching, they heard, they accepted what Peter was saying. I want to believe that Cornelius had prepared not just himself, but his household and his friends. He had must have told them, look, I was, I, was, I was praying the other day and an angel came, appeared to me and told me to send for one fellow. I don't know the fellow from anywhere. They just gave me a description. I've sent my people to go and call him. When he comes, I will call. I will send for all of you. We don't know what God wants to do. Let's hear. He accepted and all of them came. And they sat down. And as Peter was speaking, I am sure they accepted it. They believed. They were convinced about it. They, were, they desired whatever it was that the blessing that Peter was talking about. And what happened? They received the Holy Spirit. By our standard, they were not born again. Peter had to say, look, 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 look. Who can forbid these ones to be baptized by water? Water baptism was actually the, the area where they confirmed that this person is now a part of the body of Christ. Who can forbid that the Gentiles be a part of the body? Up till this time, the Jews believed that salvation was for them alone. Up till this point in time. In fact, when Peter returned, if you read the, the, the rest of uh, chapter 11, they went and harassed him. I said, we heard that you went to the house of a Gentile and that you were baptizing Gentiles. In other words, you are bringing them into the body. Who gave you that authority? Peter narrated what had happened. And when they heard it, everybody backed and said, indeed, we cannot, we cannot dispute this. This is God. Do you, do you see how the identification mark came in here now? Why? Because these Gentiles received the Holy Spirit. Why is it difficult for many of us to receive the Holy Spirit? Maybe we don't, maybe we don't accept what we've been hearing from the pulpit. Maybe we don't believe it. Maybe we are not convinced about it. Perhaps there's no desire in us. How then can we find the evidence? It will not be there. Again, we want to look at baptism of suffering. Romans chapter 5, verse 3 to 5. We read this during the uh, prayer meeting. Romans 5, 3 to 5. And not only that, but we also glory or we rejoice in tribulations. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance or patience. Perseverance is, is, is a stronger word. Because it means that regardless of what is happening, you are still waiting. Even when it is unpleasant, you are still waiting. And perseverance, character, or strength of character, or integrity, and character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. What is being said here? We rejoice in this tribulation, in trials, in challenges of life, and so on and so forth. Why do we rejoice in it? Not just because it produces all these things, but essentially because we know that God loves us. If God loves us, whatever is coming our way is not for punishment. Do you understand? It must have its own proper place. So we rejoice. Many people have shut down uh, what's, what, 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 suffering. They've shut down pain. They refuse to go through pain for the sake of Christ because they don't believe that, that, that the gospel 
permits suffering or pain. No, they say, no, 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 no. The gospel doesn't have any role, any room for that. But they fail to realize that the Lord, the Bible says in um, Hebrews chapter 12, I believe it is, it says, whom the Lord loves, he does what? He chastises. The love of God can also bring discipline. But they say, no, 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 no. God is such a loving God, everything must be rosy. Like that saying that says, if it is good, it is God. It's unscriptural. It's unscriptural. In James chapter 1, verse 2 to 4, James actually breaks this thing down and brings it home. It says, my brethren, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces what? Patience. How does James describe these trials? He says it's a testing of your These people understood what trials were. Pain and suffering for the sake of Christ is a test of your faith. If indeed your faith is hinged on Christ, you will endure it. You will enjoy it. You will go through it. He says, but let patience, verse 4, but let patience have its perfect or complete work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So wait. You have been waiting for God to do something for so many years. Do You cannot, after waiting 10 years, 15 years, suddenly drop off and go, that is falling away, and go and do something else. Why would you do such a thing? You have been waiting all this long, keep waiting. Let the work of God be total and complete in your life. I believe it's um, in Hebrews chapter 10 or so, where the, Lord, where the, where, where the, the Bible tells us that um, even after we have done everything, uh, we have, after we have done the will of God, we still need what? Patience. We still need to wait. This is how we learn patience. If you do not know how to handle life's challenges, I can tell you up front that you do not have patience. And if you do not have patience, you don't have character. You cannot be trusted. Because it means that when the, 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 was, was, was it when the, when the uh, going gets tough, says the tough gets going. When the going gets tough, you will look for shortcuts. Remember what I said earlier about faithfulness during the time of prayer. God will try you, will try your faithfulness in little things. Some of the little things are what you call pain and suffering. But they are little things. And God is testing. If in a land where the gospel is free to be preached, you are falling. What will happen if they send you to Saudi Arabia? Or if they send you to some other country where you cannot preach freely? If in the land where it is easy to preach the gospel, you are not evangelizing, who will send you to a land where it is difficult to preach the gospel? Brethren, we must not only be hearers, but we must also be what? Doers of the word. We have been brought into one body. There is no reason anywhere, there is no reason rather, on earth, why we should discriminate amongst ourselves in the church of God. But we have a lot of that. We have pastors, general overseers, who speak of the denominations they are, they, are, they are superintending over as though that is the only denomination that God is interested in. By the way, denominationalism is not scriptural. It's not a scriptural thing. That's the truth. It doesn't mean that People cannot have, let them have their denomination, but it is not scriptural. What God is interested in is the local assembly. Ephesians chapter 4, from verse 1 to 7. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Walk worthy of it. Bring fruit, meet, 
meet for repentance, worthy of repentance. Let's see you walk in a manner that says this person indeed understands that God has called him. How? With all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We must endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit, the Spirit that has brought us into the body. Let's be united around the Spirit of God in the bond of peace. Why do we have to fight? Why do we have to quarrel if we are brothers? In verse 4 it tells us that there is one body and one spirit. There are no two churches. There is one church. There is nothing like, oh, there is no other church except this church. Nothing like that. There are many believers all over the place. If you feel that they have not been properly taught, you teach them. Teach them the right thing. But it doesn't mean that they are not Christians. Remember the disciples that Paul met in Ephesus. He didn't throw them away. He taught them correctly and they received the Holy Spirit. They merely translated from disciples of John the Baptist to disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is one body and one spirit. Just as you were called in one hope of your calling. We all have the same hope of our calling. What is that same hope? Eternal life. One Lord. One Lord Jesus Christ. One faith. There are no two faiths. Our faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ. What he has done for us on the cross at Calvary. And how he has brought us in. And that as we believe in that. One baptism. Even all these baptisms. is one baptism. Into the body. Into, into water. The Holy Spirit baptism. And the baptism of sovereign. Is, it is the same baptism. The same God that is baptizing us in these things. One God and Father of all. Who is above all. And through all. And in you all. It's not a different God. That Christians have. We, have, we serve the same God. The same Lord Jesus Christ. But look at verse 7. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Even though all these things are one, yet we have different giftings in different measures. Do you understand that? There is not one believer. You are a believer, you are born again. There is not one believer that does not have a gift from God. Whether you have applied it is a different matter. And the question is, if you have the gift, how come you are not using it? Next week, we shall be looking at some of these things in some depth when we discuss the matter of faith. Because a lot of us are unable to have this experience because of the lack of faith. Our faith is not, is not standing. We, we, we are wobbly and, and jittery when it comes to the things of God. I'm going to read a lengthy passage, some lengthy passages now. We have time, we will talk about them, but please just pay attention, just listen. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, from verse 4, I'm going to read up to verse 8 of chapter 13. I actually would have loved to take it to 14, but we'll, we'll take a short break and then we'll go to 14. There are diversities of gifts. That is, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit. There are differences of ministries. Different ways by which we can serve God, but the same Lord is the one we are serving. And there are diversities of activities. Different ways by which we serve God. But it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Not for, it's not for private use. And not what is calling, the, how the gift is called here. The manifestation of the Spirit. Whenever the giftings are in operation, it means the Holy Spirit is present. Now, where a gifting is, is in operation and the Spirit of God is not there, you have found lying, you have found lying wonders. It is the manifestation of the Spirit that is the true manifestation of the giftings of the Holy Spirit. 
But the minute the occult comes in and all other kinds of things begin to play in there, you have a different thing operating there. It is not the Spirit of God, but lying wonders. And it's usually for the profit of all. In verse 8 it says, For to one is given the word of wisdom from the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through, through the same Spirit. We're not going to be discussing this at this time. Maybe God will give an opportunity to discuss it later on. The word of wisdom, word of knowledge, the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as He wills. Not as you want. Do you understand that? You may desire something, but it is still the Spirit of God that will have to give it. In verse 12 it says, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. Here speaking of baptism into one body, by the Spirit of God. We are put in there, and we are made to partake of the same Spirit of God. So, let me ask this question. Let, let, let me put it this way. If we are put into the same body, and made to drink of the same Spirit, should there be any difference in the body of Christ? There shouldn't. The doctrine should be the same. There is no need for a church to write, this our doctrine. Our doctrine is in the Bible. To write a doctrine outside of the Bible, to come up with your own explanation of doctrine, is to be, is to be tethering on false teachings. Let's stick to the Word of God. What does it that the Word of God says? Teach it. And that's it. In verse 15. If one, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? If a denomination comes and says, we are too strong. We cannot be part of the body. Is it, is it, not, is it not part of the body? Why do you try to behave as if your denomination is everything? You cannot be everything. You are just a part of the body of Christ. Either the foot, or the hand, or the liver, or the kidney, or whatever. But you are a part of the body. You are not the entire body. In verse 16 it says, And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? The eye has its role. The ear has its role. The mouth has its role. The hands have the role. The feet have the roles. They all have different roles to play. We cannot be doing the same diversities of operation. I'm standing, my hands are moving, my lips are moving, some parts of my body are moving, but some parts are stationary. Does it mean that the parts that are not moving are not of my body? No, they have the body. They have no business moving. Verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? God has placed each part in the body so that not one part can, be, can lay supremacy. There is no church that can say, we don't have need for any other thing. We pick messages from different churches because God can speak to the body through different teachers. But we must make sure that what we are hearing is the word of God and not something that is conjured up. There was a time a pastor made mention of the matter of headdressing that is women wearing a covering over their head and a member of that church wrote something on social media. He said a father was speaking to his children and outsiders were eavesdropping 
and making negative comments. Let me tell you the truth. Once the word of God is spoken in a public place, it is spoken to the entire world. Do you understand? There's nothing like speaking to one person, like what we are doing here now. Once this thing is put on social media or anything, and it becomes a document that anybody can hear, I am speaking to the body of Christ. I'm not speaking to one small group. Do you understand? The small group can be listening to me live, but whoever is listening to that message later on is, a, is listening to a message that has been given to the body of Christ. What is important, therefore, is not how many people he's speaking to, but the content of the message. Does he agree with the word of God? Do you understand that? Many of us hail messages that are spoken to millions and say that is the word of God. It may not be. It may, but it may just be something that is exciting the millions. And somebody might be speaking to two or three people. And yet that is the word of God there. There are many things that we have in the Bible that the Lord spoke only to Peter, James, and John. That is part of scripture today. And it's for every believer. Do you understand what I'm, what I'm saying? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them in the body, just as he pleases. God has what done what? He has set the members, each one, as he pleases. He sets up one in this location, sets up another in that location, scatters them all over the place, and then speaks through them to the rest of the body. You will recall that when Paul was writing letters, at least we know that one vividly to the Colossians, he said, the letter that I'm writing to you, make sure that the Laodiceans read it. And the letter I sent to the Laodiceans, make sure you read it. Otherwise, we have, no, we have nothing to read for ourselves. The letter to the Ephesians would have said, it's written to the Ephesian church, but it's written to us. Letter to the Corinthians, we wrote to the Corinthians, but it's written to us. The argument against head covering has always been that he was addressing Corinthian women. No, he was addressing the body of Christ. Verse 19. And if they were all one member, where would be the body? Where would the body be? But now, indeed, there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. There is nothing like, I can do it alone in the church of God. One person can't do it. Today, it seems like I'm doing a lot, only because we are teaching. A time is going to come, you will be doing the same things. But we are teaching it, so that people don't fall into error when it's time for them to start doing what they need to do. Verse 22. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. They are essential. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. But our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to the part which lacks it. We don't want to go into, into depth in that story, in, in this particular thing. Let's just continue to understand how God does what he does. A body that doesn't need anything, God doesn't bestow much honor there. He bestows greater honor on that body that needs something. And says, provide for this body. And in verse 25 he says, the reason why God is doing this, he says, that there should be no schism in the body. But that the members should have the same care for one another. We cannot be dividing the body of Christ and say that we are serving God. We are not serving God. We are serving our own selfish interests. So many people are, are busy dividing the body of Christ. Laying claims to being of one part or, or the other. Rather than agreeing that we are of the same body. This was the issue with the Corinthian church which Paul began to address in chapter 3. I was saying, ah, some of you say I'm of Paul. Some of you say I'm of Peter. Some of you say I'm of Apollos. I'm of Christ. Did Christ, did Paul die for you? Did Peter die for you? Did anybody die for you? It's Christ that died for all of us. We are all members of the same body. 
One man has sown, the other man has watered. The fact that you are going to a church does not mean that you shouldn't listen to another message. But make sure that the message you are listening to agrees with scripture. If it is not, if it doesn't agree with scripture, throw it away. And that message cannot be telling you to leave your church and go to another church. There is a reason why, except you don't know that God put you there. He's talking about the spirit of God baptizing you into the body. He put you in that local assembly. There is a reason why he put you there. Even if there are only three of you there, he put you there. The, the, the church was not as large in those days as it is today. The church always started small in a home. Once, once two, three people had received Christ in a particular place, the church was formed. That's why sometimes I, use, I, I read the Bible and wonder, in especially when, when we read Acts, we will we, we take a long time before we get to those portions. Where Paul will go and preach, and then leave the city. And they say a church has been formed. Elders are in that church. How, how many people did he preach to? What time did he have to, to convert the people? But they gathered together as believers. And the elders are, are, became known by the way they adapted themselves to the word of God. The elders were not necessarily the oldest people there, but they were the most mature in terms of spiritual things. That's what an elder is. Verse 26. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. If there's a problem with one church, we must feel the pain. But in feeling the pain, we don't go about making noise and saying, oh, let's go and meet our senators. No. When there was famine in Jerusalem, the churches, the Gentile churches, made up their minds to gather stuff and send to help the church in Jerusalem. Jerusalem did not insist that they should bring things to them. But they, they, they felt as part of the body of Christ, they needed to support that work. We don't do that. If you go to a church and say, we need support for our missionary work, they will tell you whose name will it be in. Can that be the church of God? Is it God that, we are, that that church is for? Or for a man? That is why the church is failing all over the place. The people who are esteeming themselves above God, it's not that they, it's not that they, that they were not right, they were right. But they, they took a detour. And through suffering, God intends to bring them back. And I pray that they will suffer and return back. I didn't hear amen. No. amen. Verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. We are individual members. We, are, we retain our individuality. Yet we are part of the body. So there is diversity. There's, there are those who will give exhortation. There are those who will teach. There are those who will comfort. There are those who will visit. Each man has his proper gift from God. Let each man apply his proper gift from God in the body and be a blessing to the body. Verse 28. And God has appointed these in the church. Who are these that God has appointed in the church? First apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. Today everybody wants to be known as an apostle. Whether God called him to apostle or not, they just say they are apostles. I don't know why we, why we like these titles and these names. Just do the work of God. The Bible tells us in 1 Samuel chapter 3, um, I think, yes, 1 Samuel chapter 3 verse 19, that by the time God began to speak, to, to speak through Samuel and did not allow one of the words that Samuel spoke to fall to the ground, that is, all the words that Samuel spoke to the people came to pass. The Bible says that from Dan to Beersheba, the whole of Israel knew that Samuel had been called to be what? A prophet. Samuel did not start by calling himself Prophet Samuel. He just did the work of God and they knew that this man has been called to be a prophet. You don't need to give yourself a tag. Brother so and so beautiful. Just call, do what you're supposed to do. Everybody will know this man, God has called him to do this. You don't go about saying, I have been called by God to... God will show that. But there's, there's so much 
on unsavoriness in the way we speak as believers. It doesn't even it doesn't even portray people who speak as believers. So much noise making everywhere. If I be a man of God, let this happen, let that happen. What are you making that noise for? Say it and let us see it happen. Somebody will give 50 prophecies for one year. And by the time we look at it, maybe only 10 are front of us. He has confused us completely. We can't even remember what he said. Then when somebody will say, you remember I, I prophesied this in January. I prophesied this in January. Only two or four. Or four. What of the other 40 something that you prophesied? You don't want to talk about those ones. Verse 29. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healings? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the best gifts. And yet I show you a more excellent way. What was making these people manifest the gifts? It's, again, you come across that word. Earnestly what? Desire. The gifts. The problem with the Corinthian church was they accentuated only one gift. What was that gift they were accentuating? Tongues. That's why you, if you look at all that Paul is saying, he always put tongues at the bottom. So there are others before tongues. Desire the gift of an apostle. Desire the gift of a prophet. Desire the gift to prophesy, to do this, to do that. But, I want to show you a more excellent way. A way that does not bring schism in the body. A way that does not allow people to quarrel with themselves. A more excellent way. Let's go to chapter 13. And we read about this more excellent way. From verse 1 to 8. Though I speak with the tongues of men. This is a gift. And of angels. Another gift. But have not love. I have become sounding brass and a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. I may be swimming in spiritual gifts. I may be diving in ministry gifts. maybe may be wallowing in all manner of things. Doing all kinds of activities. But if it is not based on the love of God and love for God, it's nothing. This was the problem of the Ephesian church in Revelation chapter 2. You remember that? When the Lord said, I have seen your works, wonderful works. You are doing this, you are doing this. I even see your doctrine. I even know your doctrine. I even see that you hate the Nicolaitans, whom I also hate. You have tested people who say that they are apostles and you have proven them to be false. But they said, But I have one thing against you. You don't love me as you did before. I don't even see you manifesting love amongst yourselves. Say, repent therefore. Remember where you have fallen from. And repent and return. It's the same thing here. If all that we are doing has no love, it's for show. For personal aggrandizement. If it's to say that our church is better than the other church. Our church is bigger than this other church. It, it profits you nothing. Before God, it, it means nothing. If you like, have a crusade in which five million people gathered. And it is not out of love for God. Or love of God. It's not because the love of God constrained you to do those things. Throw it away. It doesn't mean anything. What's her name? Ellen DeGeneres could all, could, he, she, judged, she, she had one program once at a beach in the US and drew 5 million people. It doesn't, it doesn't mean it's like Ellen, Ellen DeGeneres who is gay having a program. Does, what, 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 how does that benefit God? Your attend, attendance to your program doesn't benefit God. It doesn't mean anything to God. If it does not come, come from your love for God, and your, and, and, and your love of God. Verse 4. Love suffers long and is kind. There can be no hatred. Love does not envy. Churches are, are envying one another now. Churches are, 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 are in competition. Oh, you know, this church, this church is buying land. Let's buy land too. Where did we get that from? Is that of the church? That's of the flesh. That's not of God. 
Do you know whether God told them to buy land? And whether God did not even tell them to buy land, but their, their loss told them to go and buy land. Then you now join them in that loss. You enter into competition, unnecessary competition. For what? This church has built this auditorium. Oh, we will build the biggest one in Africa. Is that of God? This church built with one billion, we will build with two billion. Is that of God? Love does not parade itself and is not puffed up. It does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil. When you look at what love is, you can see that, indeed, many of the things that we are doing in the name of Christ is not of Christ. It's not possible. Because we do a lot of these things out of envy, out of strife. Paul said, some people preach out of envy. Others preach out of strife. Some preach to show off that we can do it. Some, some churches are spending more money on beautification of a building rather than on the souls that are before them. Verse 6. Love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things and does all things. When you say all things, you're not talking of just anything. We're talking of all things of God. Do you understand? Love never fails. It never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Where, whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. Prophecies have failed before. People have prophesied and it didn't come to pass. Because it wasn't from a heart of love. They just came from their head. They wanted to show people that they can prophesy. Or they prophesied beyond what was given to them. He says this is the way that we are to behave. The giftings must be used out of love. Not just for its own sake. Knowledge that is not based on love is boasting. And has no place in Christendom. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 to 13. Here they are discussing food. Again, it's a long question. I'm just going to read it. And then I'll draw up one or two things I want to draw out here. Now, concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love does what? Edifies. Love builds up. And if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing, yet as he ought to know. We can't know all the things. We can't know everything. The man who says he knows everything, he doesn't know anything. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by God. Do you, do you see where love is? Love is more important than knowledge. But when you bring knowledge with love, oh, what a devastating thing. It manifests in experience. It manifests in practice. It manifests in the evidence that God is with this person. Therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is no, and that there is no other God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords. Yet for us there is one God, the Father of whom are all things, and we for him. And one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we live. is similar to what we read in Ephesians chapter 4. One Lord, one body, one spirit, one faith, and so on and so forth. There's one God. There's one Lord, Jesus Christ. And he's our Lord. In verse 7 it says, However, there is not in everyone that knowledge for some with consciousness of the idol until now eat it as a thing offered to an idol and their conscience being weak is defined. Some people eat food that is given to idols and they know that it's an idol that, that was eating it. That they were eating it before an idol. He says, so if you eat it before such a man, you make him weak. People who used to be Muslims and are now believers. You don't tell them that, oh, there's nothing in the, in the, in the salad that they are doing. You can eat the salad, you can. You, you don't tell them that. You tell them, keep away from it. You don't have to observe it. 
Because they know the import of it. But food does not commend us to God. For neither if we eat are we better, nor if we do not eat are we the worse. It doesn't mean anything. But beware, lest somehow this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak. I can eat meat. Any meat. But if it is going to become a problem to a brother, I would rather do without it. It is love that makes you to do without it. Do you understand? If it is just knowledge, you say, go ahead, I beg, let's eat it. That's his business. Relax, let him not, let him not mind. Verse 10. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? So let's not use our knowledge to create problems for people. You must, there must be balance. And love is what is balancing everything. And because of your knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. But when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. But if I sit down amongst mature people, there are some things that we can discuss. Because they are mature people. Do you understand? But when we are, dis- when we are sitting down with different brothers, we must make sure that our, our discussion is tempered with love. For that brother's uh, spiritual well-being. He may not understand it. So we must act in a manner that speaks to us that we indeed have care and concern for the rest of the body. The way some pastors carry on, some general overseers carry on, they, 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 they think of themselves as though nothing can touch them. Indeed, nothing can touch them. But because of their boasting, they, they, would, they would make a brother who does not understand the way God works to begin to manifest such a, a puffed up nature and ruin him. So God will bring that fellow through a tough challenge that will humble him. Now God will humiliate him so that he can be humble. And he will understand that you don't make you don't puff yourself up for any reason. Because you are going to encourage members of your church to do that. For example, the pastor who was busy boasting and talking about nobody can touch nobody can hand, it was not that boasting that made him to begin to say that people should go carry knife and go and kill Fulani uh, Hesman. How do you make such a statement? Let's go to First Corinthians chapter 14. We'll just read a few verses there, verse 1 to 6. I'll advise you to read the whole thing, but I just read verse 1 to 6. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. Do you see now? Your desire must be mellowed by your love for God and love of God. Otherwise, that desire will become lost. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. What he's saying here is that you must be thinking of others. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit he speaks mysteries. He's speaking to himself. Speaking between himself and God. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to who? To men. So let's, communi- let's, let's receive giftings that will be a blessing to the body. Rather than the one that is for ourselves. Remember what I said about Corinthian church. What were, what were they boastful about? Tongues. And he's saying there, what, what do tongues really do? It's for edifying yourself. Your tongues don't translate to prophecy. So it doesn't bless anybody but yourself. So at the end of the day, you are still selfish. Which is a, which is a what now? It's, it's a work of the flesh. Selfishness is a work of the flesh. So how can you say that the Spirit of God is the one that led you to be selfish? Verse 4. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. But he who prophesies edifies the church. I wish you all spoke with tongues. But even more... That you prophesy. For he who prophesies 
is greater than he who speaks with tongues. Unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. If you are speaking in tongues and you have the interpretation of the tongues, then you are prophesying. Do you understand? If all you are doing is speaking in tongues, nobody is edified, nobody is blessed because we don't even know what you are saying. Even you don't know what you are saying. But when you can give interpretation, then we understand what God is saying and we are all blessed. The word prophecy, as written as in scripture, really means one who speaks the word of God, who speaks forth the word of God. Not necessarily someone who is speaking about future things. Do you understand? But one who speaks for the word of God. What I'm doing here is prophecy. When somebody comes to exhort us for 15 minutes, 10 minutes, it's prophecy. Verse 6. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching? That's how we are blessed. A man speaks by revelation, speaks by knowledge given to him by God, and becomes a blessing to the body of Christ. He's saying, let's stop being self-centered. Let's stop being self-seeking. Let the baptism that we have, the baptism into the body, let it make us to be a blessing to the body. Do you understand? We are not to be reclusive, thinking only of ourselves. Be a blessing to the body. Be a blessing to other believers in the church, in your local assembly, and beyond your local assembly. In those days when we were growing as believers, when we heard a message that was a blessing, we immediately bought the tape, and we gave it to people of other denominations. We were not saying, oh, you're not of our church. So, no, we gave it to them. Not so that they can come to church, but so that they can hear the word of God. Today, what do we do? Believers are busy. We, we are the ones who propagate false news. We are the ones who propagate news that do not edify. The ones that edify, we don't propagate it. Romans chapter 12, from verse 9 to 21. Let love be without hypocrisy. This is crucial. Hypocrisy is to present a face or a front which you really are not. Love must be without hypocrisy. If what somebody has done does not is offending you, say it to the person in love. But don't hold back. And if you can't say it to the person in love, then don't say it to anybody at all. If you are saying it to anybody it is because you want that person to draw the attention of that person so that two of you can discuss the matter. The minute you start saying something that you cannot say to that person, to another person you have become a backbiter. And a tail bearer. It is better that you go and confront your brother or your sister and say, that thing that you did to me, I didn't like it. Than to go and tell somebody else who is now going to be a tail bearer. You have, you have started a fire. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another. We are, we are looking at being other-centered here. Not lagging in diligence. Fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord. Rejoice in hope, patient in tribulation, continue steadfastly in prayer. If we have indeed been baptized, these are the things that we should be seeing happening in our lives. This should be the ex our experience when we are talking about, about our, our work in the church. Many of us are lagging in diligence. There is no fervency in spirit. We are not even serving the Lord. We would rather serve ourselves, serve our bellies. Rejoice in hope, patient in tribulation, continue steadfastly in prayer. How many of us continue steadfastly in prayer? Maybe a handful. But all of us should be doing that. You should be challenged. You should somebody who has a need and you don't have that need. Pray to God about, uh, for that person. Lord, let this fellow have this. Let this meet this fellow's need. Let us leave this every time we are praying only for our own needs. Distributing to the needs of the saints. Given to hospitality. Exchanges in the body of Christ. 
We should give of our substance to the needy. Because pastors have been teaching that when you give to the man of God, your, your, your returns will increase. Many of us are giving only to men of God. I'm not saying stop giving to men of God. You give them. But also give to your brothers who are sitting next to you. The Lord Jesus said, if you want to give to someone, give to someone who is not able to repay you. Don't give to people who can always repay you. Look for people who have needs and be a blessing to them. Verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. This should be the, what, we should be, what, what should be the evidence that we are Christ's. That the identification mark of Christ is upon us. That we have matured spiritually. We are blessing, we are not cursing. How can a man of God say, I will curse you? Why? Maybe in the Old Testament. Even the Old Testament, it wasn't accepted. In the, clearly, in the New Testament, no cursing, only blessing. The Bible says, when you bless, you are heaping coals of fire on that man if he refuses to change. Verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Many will rejoice only with those who rejoice. Some even get envious when people are rejoicing. Many refuse to weep when others are weeping. Instead, they blame those people who are weeping. It is their fault that this thing they are going through is. Be careful. It might just happen to you. Some of us don't know how others feel until it begins to happen to us. That cannot be the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God will tell you this is how this person is feeling. It is because you reject it. When the Lord is saying this is how this person is feeling, we say, I reject it. It cannot be, it cannot be, it cannot be. Until it happens, I say, oh, now I understand how so-and-so person was feeling. Why must it, be, why must it happen to you before you understand it? Verse 16. Be of the same mind towards one another. Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Associate with who? With the humble. Stop associating with people who, 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 who say, oh, we want to scale, we want to get to the clouds. Look for people who are humble. Follow those people. You will get to that cloud faster than the man who says he wants to get to the cloud. But associate with the humble because the Bible says that those who humble themselves in due course, what will happen? God will lift them. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Stop being wise in your own eyes. When you are trying to be wise, go back to the scriptures. The scriptures will humble you. You will see that you don't know anything. Verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil. I hear many people say, he didn't, when, when I was celebrating my birthday, he didn't give me any gift. Therefore, I will not give him a gift. It should be that I don't have money to give him gifts. I can understand that. But because he didn't give me, so I will not give him. You are repaying evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on who? On you. Live peaceably with all. That is, do everything in your own power to be at peace with people. If the man is still fighting you, no problem. Don't fight him. Verse 19. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Let's stop taking vengeance. He did this to me, so I will do it, I will do it back to her. She did this to me, so I will do it back to him. No, what are, what are we doing? Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, do what? Feed him. If he's thirsty, do what? Give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his... God himself said in the, under the old covenant, if you see your enemy's donkey stuck in a pit, do not leave that donkey there. Go and carry that donkey out of that pit. Your enemy's car is stuck in a gutter. Help him to carry the car out. Let him not greet you. Don't worry. Put your hand. Help him to carry it out. You see your enemy's child about to commit a crime. Call him and talk to him. Don't do that. Leave that to God. Verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with what? 
with good. Have we been baptized? Can we say that what we just read from 9 to 21, by, by the way, the, the, the Bible I have here, the margin says, marks of the true Christian. That's the heading. You have been baptized? These are the things that we should be seeing. Baptizing to the body. You've gone through Christian baptism. You're baptizing the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. Let's see these things. Part of it is the, the, the baptism of suffering. Because you will feel pain doing some of these things. But you see, when you understand the true nature of God and what God wants you to do, that pain will cease and you will do it with joy. You'll be able to rejoice with those who rejoice. You'll be able to weep with those who weep. It continues. Romans chapter 13, verse 1 to 10. I'm just going to read it and see how God helps us. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. Here we're talking of civil authorities. Federal government, your state government, your local government. For there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Donald Trump is appointed by God. Major, uh, sorry, President Muhammad Buhari was appointed by God. One person cannot be appointed by God and the other by the devil. The powers that be are appointed by God. He doesn't have to be a Christian to be appointed by God. Donald Trump, by the way, is not a Christian. By, the, by every sense of the word Christian, he is not a Christian. But he is an appointee of God. Verse 2. Therefore, whoever resists the authority, resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. Quite frankly, all these protests and no protests, they should forget it. If you really want to protest, go and pray. That's your protest. Pray in your closet. That's your protest. Don't engineer mass rebellion against somebody else. There are even pastors, Nigerian pastors, on social media who are speaking against the president because they belong to the party that has lost. How do we do those things? And we say we are Christians? Certainly not. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. The war against corruption, is it, is it targeting good people? It's targeting evil people. Instead of them recognizing that this war targets evil people, what do they say? They say it's only from their party. It's not, it's not from another party. Let, let, when your party wins, prosecute those people that you know that they, they, they are corrupt. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good. And you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Did you read that in the Bible? That the, the unbeliever who is your leader is who? Is God's minister. He will punish those who are evil and free those who are good. I've said this before and I repeat it. God would rather have a bad leader than no leader at all. Anarchy, God hates it. So when we have Sanya Abacha, God ordained Sanya Abacha. We may not have been happy, but he ordained it. Many people came to Christ because of Sanya Abacha. Out of fear, they ran to God. Sadly, we didn't teach them. So when prosperity came, they went back. People who became born again in prison, the moment they saw freedom from prison, they, they became something else. Verse 5. Therefore, you must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. If you are paying tax in your country, shouldn't you pay tithe in the church? But that's not what we want to discuss. But that is the point being made here. We pay taxes just like we give our gifts in the church of God. We do our obligations to Caesar. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. Verse 7. Render therefore to all their due taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, Fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Owe no one anything except to love one 
another. For he who, who loves another has fulfilled the law. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. You have fulfilled the law. Look at what it says in verse 9. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet, and if there is any other commandment, are all summed up in this, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. If you loved your neighbor, and who is your neighbor? Any other human being is your neighbor. It's not necessarily the man who's sitting next to you. If you have love for your neighbor, would you commit adultery with another man's wife? Do you understand that? If you had love for, for uh, if you loved your neighbor as you loved yourself, would you commit adultery with another woman's husband? You wouldn't do that. If you had love for your neighbor, would you steal his goods or something that belongs to him? The law is summed up in that: love, uh, uh, lo- love your neighbor as you love yourself. Finally, verse ten: love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. It is because many of us don't love God. Don't have the love of God in us. Operating within us. That's why we can do some of the crazy things that we are doing. But when the love of God is there, and those, those temptations come, you can call upon the Lord. And say, Lord, help me. Save me from this trial. Save me from this temptation. He will come. In John chapter 7, from verse 37 to 39. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart or belly will flow rivers of living water. Not one river, but rivers. Streams will be pouring. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Why are we not receiving the Holy Spirit that is welling up in our bellies as rivers of living water? That's the question. Because we don't believe. We have not yet submitted to Christ. We have not come to you. He said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me and drink. We haven't come to him yet. We haven't submitted ourselves to him. We have not brought ourselves under his authority. That's why people are so struggling with speaking in tongues. Struggling to, to manifest the gift of the Spirit. Struggling to live as they ought to live, children of the living God. Finally, Mark 16. We read this last week. Best repetition again. We see the marks. If indeed... We have been baptized. Baptized into the body, baptized in water, baptized in the spirit. These things should be manifesting in our lives. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. But he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. I ask the question, are we casting out demons? Are we speaking in tongues? Are we able to carry up dangerous things? I'm not saying go and look for serpents. But by error, you carry up something dangerous and there's no harm. Have you been able to prove this empirically in your life? Have you, have you gone to a place and drunken what they offered you and nothing happened, even though they poisoned it? We, you see, the demonstration of the power of God is missing in our lives. Because we lack acceptance of the, of the word of God. We lack faith in the word of God. And we lack conviction about the word of God. And of course, we don't even desire to put it to practice. It is when you put it to practice that you begin to... Many of the testimonies, when you put it to practice, that's when you begin to see the word of God take effect in your life and through your life. 
Many of the testimonies that we hear, people give testimonies. It is because they waited on God for something, one thing or the other. And were able to prove that indeed God is good. How many of us sitting here can say, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Because I have tasted and I can say that he is good to me. Our desire has turned us away from God. Because we have not desired what God desires. We have desired what we want. And what we want does not agree with what God wants to give us. And so we do not see the manifestation or manifestations of God in our lives. Let's conclude. It is one thing to be taught and to have learnt about the blessings of baptisms. It is another thing entirely to have the evidence or proof in your life. This is where the matter of experience becomes significant to the teachings of baptisms. Since baptisms are rites of passage, transforming the hitherto unbeliever into a believer in Christ, permanently transitioning him or her from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, and maturing him or her from one level to another, why do you not exhibit Christ-likeness? Why have you not transitioned permanently into God's kingdom? What are you still doing in Satan's kingdom? Some of us are oscillating. One day we are with God, the next day we are in Satan's kingdom. Why have we not transitioned? Why have you not matured spiritually and significantly since the time the Spirit of God bore you are new? Where is your growth? Why do you remain babes? Why is it that, we, that by now when you should be teaching others, you still need to be taught? Since the Bible teaches the unity of the body through baptisms, which is truth, why are you still racial, ethnic, and gender motivated? You go to the United States, especially in the southern places, which are supposed, which is called the Christian belt. That is where you have racism at its height. Blacks go to black churches, whites go to white churches. Where is the Christ there? The conservatives believe that they are the only ones who are conservative. They are white. They call themselves white conservatives. The blacks believe that they are liberal. So you listen to the, the messages coming out of American churches, you are shocked at the interpretations they give to freedom. The blacks believe that deliverance is deliverance from slavery to man, not deliverance from slavery to sin. So even though he claims to have been delivered from slavery, he is still a slave to sin. The whites claim supremacy, and yet they are slaves to pride and arrogance. The same thing happens in this country. The average man in, 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 in the church... You, I heard some pastors making noise the other day. The child of the born servant will not rule over the child of the free. Who is the born servant? The president is the child of the born servant. You cannot do anything about it. He's your president. You can quote that scripture from morning till night. God put him there. And God has not broken his word one bit. Because the people he's ruling over are obstinate people. They are stiff-necked. They themselves are in bondage. If they were free, they would understand that anybody can rule over you as far as the world is concerned, it doesn't change who you are. Christ remained Christ. He stood before Pontius Pilate. What did he say? He said, it has been given to you. This is your time to pass this judgment. Do you think I would not have been able to call my, my, call on my father and he would send, not release thousands of angels for, for me to go free? But this is your time. Do you know that you can be living freely and be in bondage? You can be in prison and be free. There are many of us who are not in prison. We're in bondage. We're in bondage to our thoughts. We're in bondage to our... We're not free before God. <clears throat> Even before God, we lie. When people come to God and say, oh, oh, I, I, want to, I want to make a confession. God told me that he said, oh, don't mind them. They are, they are minimizing their involvement in this thing. How do you come to God and say, well, you know, if this person did not do it this way, I wouldn't have been involved. But you know, well, what can I have done? What could I have done? 
You could have done a lot, but you didn't do anything. Since you have been marked as belonging to and being a part of Christ, why do you still desire the mark of Satan to gain an advantage? You say you have been marked. Then you are going for an interview. Who do you know in that place? Do you know anybody? Uh, how much do we pay? I heard that Christians are paying bribes to be, get, to be given employment. Paying bribes for, for admission into school. Go and study. Others can pay that bribe. God will pay the way for you. Why do we go and take... Because that's taking the mark of Satan. Because we want to gain an advantage. Women are being told by, by pastors to make sure that they dress seductively. How will men come to you if you don't dress seductively? What, 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 where, where did they find that? What gospel is that? The only people that seductive dressing attracts are flies. No reasonable man will come to you. Why can't you trust God to protect and preserve you? If indeed the mark of God is upon you. Since you have been baptized in the Holy Spirit, why are you not witnessing Christ in the power of God? Why do you seek strength powers to do the work of God? Some people even go to the extent of taking drugs in order to preach. For what purpose? Many more questions can be asked as to your experience based on the doctrine of baptisms. Or any doctrine for that matter. There is indeed a gap between doctrine and demonstration or display. And between teaching and daily practice. This gap exists largely because of a lack of personal relationship between the believer in Christ and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Many people just go to church. No personal relationship with God. They don't talk to God. They just want to hear the pastor say, Receive. In the name of Jesus, you receive favor. Like we've heard today, it's not, it doesn't come that way. If God is with you, the favor of God is upon you. Because the favor of God is always with God. How do you go to a place where they say, receive favor, and they say, receive favor. I have favor. I'm, I'm, as I'm going to the office, I have favor. If you're a believer, you're a child of God, you have favor from the day you got born again till the day you leave this world. Many believers are yet to submit themselves fully to the Lord Jesus Christ. Even though they may submit to men of God and gather together with others in church, Merely being religious. You remember 2 Timothy 3 5. What does it say? It says they have an appearance of, of godliness, but they deny what? The power thereof. From such, run, run away. In James 1 27, it says this is true religion that you should be, you should, you should show kindness to orphans and to widows, and that you should live in this world unspotted. That's true religion. You do, you show acts of kindness. And you live a holy life. They have also not yielded themselves to the Holy Spirit to walk in them. And perform the requisite operation, which is sanctification. Which makes it possible for the Christian to live as Christ lived. Doing God's will. Tempering knowledge with love. And making us to understand that no challenge in life is insurmountable. But that God uses such life challenges to strengthen and make us who he wants us to be, manifesting the fruit of the Spirit. The Bible says, this I say to you, walk in the Spirit and shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. It says, those who, 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 who are walking in the Spirit, they have crucified the flesh and its affections and desires. To elaborate further, the doctrine demonstration gap is the result of a lack of desire. In Matthew chapter 5 verse 6, the Bible says, blessed uh, blessed are they who do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be. If your desire is after righteousness and godliness, you will be. You will. It will happen. But because the desire, lack of desire, we're talking about here, is the lack of desire for, for righteousness. We just want something else. Our desire is for. I want to be rich. I, want, I was speaking to one young boy today. All he's interested in. We are trying to teach him the word of God. All he's interested in is money. And I said to him, I said, look, 
I'm going to tell you the truth. If what you are thinking of getting from me is money, sorry, you have jumped the empty ground. I am here to teach you the word of God. The teaching of the word of God is primary. And I told you, I said, there's a saying, he who gives you fish has fed you for that time only. But he who teaches you to fish has fed you for the rest of your life. I am teaching you to fish by giving you the word of God. So if all you want is money, you will steal. You will lie. You will cheat. You will kill. You will rape. You will do anything for that money. Because the love of money, the Bible says, is the root of all evil. And that's where your desire is. Desire God. What does the Bible say in, in Matthew chapter 5, verse uh, 33? But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things that people are running after shall be added unto you. The doctrine demonstration gap is the result of a lack of desire. To partake of the blessings of baptisms arising from a refusal to accept the teaching on baptisms, unbelief, as well as a lack of conviction. Where truth is accepted and believed with conviction, the desire to taste of truth grows strongest and the result is the evidence. The proof of the doctrine in experiential terms. When you have made up your mind, and we are going to look at that next week, when by faith you actually receive the baptisms, when temptation is coming, you'll be warming up. Because you know that whatever temptation is coming, there's no desire that, he ha- that you have that temptation is coming to meet. The desire that you have is the desire of God. Temptation has jumped empty ground. It will fail. It will return to sender. When people are trying to punish you for doing something, you will be rejoicing. Because you know that at the end of it, God will be victorious in all of it. To eliminate the doctrine experience or doctrine demonstration gap, you must return to God. You must submit totally to Christ and yield to the Holy Spirit. Letting Him daily lead you. As many as are, the, uh, as many as are led of the Spirit of God, they are what? The sons of God. The Bible says, submit to God. Resist the devil. As the gap between doctrine and demonstration closes, the proof of the blessings associated with baptisms will become a reality in your life. And you'll be able to manifest your love for God that is obeying His every word. That is, the, that is the only way to manifest that you love God. As long as you are still disobeying the word of God, you don't love God. And your love for all people, first the brethren, being bound together with them. Once they, they are believers, you are bound to them. They are your brothers and your sisters. And for all others, as you display the love of God for mankind to them. Honestly speaking, do you know that if we truly had love in our system, we will evangelize. If you have the Holy Spirit in you, and you don't have love, you will never evangelize. You look at somebody and say, no, this one needs to, this one needs to go to hell. Let's leave him alone. Let him go to hell. That's what he will do. But if you truly have the love of God, inside of it, you will be bleeding. Even if you can't go and talk to the person, you will be bleeding and say, Lord, give me an opening to talk to this person. Evangelism is drudgery to many of us because, quite frankly, we don't love God. And we have no love for people. Thou shalt love the Lord, the, the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. So that is the first commandment. That is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like unto the first. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two hang the entire law. Even the so-called grace we are talking about. On those two things, grace rests. And if we have this, we prove that we are indeed disciples of Christ. Remember what Lord Jesus said. He said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. Why don't people know that we are disciples of Christ? 
Because we have no love for one another. We are in competition. We are envying one another. We are doing all kinds of crazy things. May the Lord have mercy upon us. Let's bow our heads to pray. As the word has ministered to you, I want you to talk to God. What is that gap in your own life that needs to be closed? Between teaching and daily practice. Between doctrine and demonstration. Is it acceptance of the word of God? Is it faith or belief in God? Believing that word? Is it believing with conviction? Is it a lack of desire? Talk to God. Pray. Pray to God. Ask the Lord to help you. To be open, to be receptive to his word. To be accepting of his word. Ask him to help you to believe with conviction in your heart. The very word of God. To desire what God desires. And detest what God detests. The Bible says of the Lord Jesus. Say because thou hast loved righteousness. And has hated iniquity. Therefore God even thy God has anointed thee with the oil of gladness. Above thy fellows. That should be your case. Love what God loves. Hate what God hates. Desire what God desires. Detest what God detests. And then let us see whether the proof or the evidence will not manifest in your life. Talk to the Lord. Areas where you need to make amends. Begin to make those amends. Is it that when the word of God is coming, you are there fighting the word of God, arguing with the word of God, never to go back to it? Even if you say you don't agree with this, note it. Go back and look at the scripture again. And read it. And say, Holy Spirit, teach me this scripture. Accept it. Believe it. With conviction in your heart. Let your desire be the desire of God for you. And let us see whether the manifest evidence of baptisms will not begin to operate in your life. We are not wasting saliva talking here. We are speaking the truth that is the word of God. We need to accept it. Sometimes you need to wait a long time for those things to manifest. But keep waiting. In due course, God will do what he alone can do. What no man can do, you will see it.